Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to welcome each one of you to week four of our Who Am I journey. We're at the halfway point. We're making the turn. And so thank you to all of you for your faithfulness in participating in this spiritual journey. I wanna welcome those watching online, welcome those that are streaming with us in McKinney, and we're excited about what God's doing with that journey in McKinney, and I wanna welcome our 1230 service who are making room and making space for others. Would you guys join me in celebrating all of those that are joining in with us today? I'm gonna ask you here in week four, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 22. We're gonna look at verse 54, and we're going to look at a big figure and a big character in the Bible. We're gonna look at Peter. In this Who Am I journey, if you're just jumping in, we're talking about how to discover the person that God's created us to be. Not the person that the voices around us wanna define us as. Not the person that we struggle with in the inside of our emotions. Not the wrong version, but the version that God's created us to be. And so we're looking to him. This is not something that is just introspective. We learned in the very first part of this series together that it's really about looking to the one who created us. And so we're looking to God for answers of this question that we ask all the time, and that is, who am I? And so we've looked at several different characters and each week we're learning more about the Bible which is always good and we're learning about these characters and we're finding they have some of the same struggles we do, some of the same questions we do. And we've primarily looked at Old Testament characters. This week we're gonna look to the New Testament and we're gonna see that this who am I question just continues all the way through the Bible. I wanna say how proud I am of all of you because we have more people than ever that are in groups. We're coming together to listen to these messages. We're studying this book, Who Am I, that I wrote. We're joining together. We're, we're doing church like they did in the early church. We're gathering around more new people I'm hearing about in small groups. And I wanna highlight one story that I had a chance to interact with. We're getting so many stories from so many different people, and but I had one where there's a, a lady named Lori, we put it on the Milestone blog, if you follow that, we're always telling stories there about lives that are being transformed, because we're seeing like in the New Testament that he's adding to their number daily those who are being saved. And so, so that's happening around us, and one of those that touched me was Lori, she came to church in January, she gave her life to Christ the next week. She took the next step. She was water baptized. With her hair still wet out in the commons area, she came up to me. She said, Pastor, I went all in. <clears throat> I'm totally surrendered. I said, well, good for you. She said, I'm tired of my old life. I wanna live the new life that Jesus has for me. And I said, man, I am proud of you. And uh, so I wrote her name down and put it on a little sticky note and I put it in my notes for 101. So when I was teaching 101, our discovery class that we have at the first of every month, we had all these new people in there, I highlighted Lori, I said stand up when I was sharing the message of Jesus and so Lori was there and I highlighted her and then after highlighting her story, I gave people in the room the opportunity to surrender themselves to Jesus like Lori did. And it was amazing, it always amazes me, there were people all over the room and hands went up and people accepted Christ 
And so then last week she came to me and she was celebrating that and she said, you know, I was in a group but I've decided the people at my work need what we're talking about so I don't know if I'm qualified, pastor. I said, oh, oh you're qualified. You're, 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 you're ordained. I mean, are you kidding me? You're, you're a pastor. I mean, you're, you're, you're in the ministry. She said, I went ahead and started me a group. I said, well, you go, girl. Just go ahead. And so now she's leading a group, and that's what's happening all over our community because of you and because you're willing to take journeys like this. It's happening with our young people. It's happening with our children. And so let's just keep on keeping on in this journey together. This character, Peter, again, I, I don't have time to hit every single component of his story because he is bigger than life. And I relate to him. You probably relate to him. Jesus understood him. He was a doer. Uh, he was also a little bit of a talker. He was saying the wrong thing sometimes. He, he, he got praised by Jesus, but he also got corrected by Jesus too. And uh, he, he was just a, a big character. He was in Jesus's inner circle. When he first followed Jesus, Jesus, this is what I love about him, he knows us. He knows how we're wired. He was there, he was a fisherman. And Jesus knew more about fishing than he knew about fishing. In fact, Jesus would engage him in the area of even fishing. So Jesus knows your business, Jesus knows your personality, Jesus knows where you live. And so Jesus shows up while he's fishing one day and because Peter saw in him this understanding, this revelation of himself more than he had any other person and he had this divine revelation, he, he dropped everything and he followed him. He just dropped his nets and said, I wanna follow you, Jesus. And he has some high points in his story. And this week we're gonna look at, though, who am I when I failed? I believe identity and knowing who you are is one of the huge steps in your journey, but Peter's story has some highlights, but it also has some moments of failure and one particular major moment of failure. Who am I when I failed? But his journey, he followed Jesus, he even had a moment, talk about who am I, he had a, a major defining moment before his big failure, and I wanna hit that before we go to Luke chapter 22, it says here in Matthew 16, in fact, that Jesus said to these people gathered in this dark place in Caesarea Philippi, full of pantheism and worship of other gods, I've been to this location, and it was a center of great darkness, and Jesus goes into the darkness just like he does today, and in the midst of that great darkness, he says this, he says, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the who am I question. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I know that a lot of times when you don't really know Jesus, when you can't answer the who am I question when Jesus asks it to you, because it's a very important question, a lot of times we try to get into our own heads. We try to answer all the cerebral questions. And let me tell you, the Bible has some answers for us. I don't believe you have to get a lobotomy to serve Jesus. There's some logical congruent answers, but at the end of the day, there'll never be enough logic to get you to a place of surrender. 
At the end of the day, you go all in with Jesus when you have from heaven supernatural revelation that he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, there's no way to go to heaven except by him. And God just, he touches you and brings a place of revelation. It happened to Peter here, he said, look, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now look what it says. Look, I'm talking about how do you answer the who am I question. Because he knew who Jesus was, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And he even understands how he's wired, so he goes back to Peter the doer. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is this telling us? You'll never know who you really are until you know who Jesus is. When you begin to understand the fullness of Jesus Christ and he comes in a real way into your life, the the world around you makes sense. I remember when I accepted Jesus, just after that it's like I was lighter, I was freer, the the, the sky was brighter, the world made more sense. You say, how do you explain that? I don't know, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you. But when he comes in, you start understanding about more of who you are because you understand who he is. Now you're like, I thought we were talking about failure. Well, this is a big moment right here. Peter's gotten the right answer, but he had a lot of journey with Jesus and he's a real hero here, but then he moves in to a place of some failure. When we throw out here right at the the, the part here where we start turning the corner in this journey and you throw out a statement like, who am I when I failed? Some of you, it's like, man, I need to hear this because you're in the middle of dealing with the repercussions of some major failure. What kind of failure are you facing right now? What kind of situation, not even many times understanding the implications of it, whether consciously or just out of just pure ignorance or the enemy leading you towards some type of path, are you dealing with the repercussions of some choices and some decisions that have brought to you not only the emotional pain of failure, but the practical implications of it. It it can challenge your identity. It can challenge your identity. As a pastor for many years, I'm consciously wanting to and, and directly wanting to equip people in this area because even a person like Lori, who's all excited, I'm excited for her, I want her to be equipped because the excitement moves into real life. And real life brings some mistakes. None of us are perfect. We're gonna have some mistakes, we're gonna have some failures. And I've found how you approach those failures, how you approach those situations and how you're able to move forward past them have huge implications on you becoming who you're created to be. Massive implications. By the way, all failure is not equal. I have some mess ups and mishaps. One of the ones that my wife loves to tell about me It's one of those failures you can kind of laugh at now. We were going skiing with some friends, some friends on staff, and so we were going to uh, a guy's home in Colorado, and so uh, we flew in early, and the rest of the group were gonna get there a day later, and so the team said, hey, will you go to the grocery store and get all the groceries? And so we were there, we drove down, the, the house was up the mountain, so we drove down the mountain, we went to the grocery store, spent a while in the grocery store, and as can happen in the mountains, 
the weather changed and there was a whole dumping of all kinds of snow and it was dark now and so everything was slick and the roads were slick and so we get all the groceries in the car and we're in the Suburban and we're driving back up to the house and there's snow, you know, and so I'm a Texas born and bred guy so, you know, I don't experience this all the time and so, man, I'm really enjoying this experience. My wife is freaking out. Ah. And so, in a moment of not wise decision making, which is where we usually end up in failure, I thought, man, we were going around these curves and I thought, man, you know, kind of a little slide, you know, and now I wouldn't do this with your car if you let me borrow it, but I, I just thought, you know, man, that was fun. And there was this big wide turn and I just thought, you know, maybe I'll just kind of, you know, just, you know, just kind of slide a little, you know? And I just pushed the gas like that and the car just went right into the ditch. And it's piled up with snow. I had to pry the door open. My wife's like, I knew it. Why'd you do that, Jeff? We're gonna have to sleep out here. It's freezing cold. How much gas do we have? Oh my gosh. I just got out of the car, you know, and I was just sitting there, you know, thinking, man, why'd I do this, you know? And, but, but God loves me. He really does. He, he favors me. Favor's not really fair. And so... As I was standing there, this is kind of the story of my life, a guy with a snowplow just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> and he pulls up, he goes, having problems? I go, well, actually I am. So he hooked a little chain up there and he just pulled us right out, you know? And I got in the car and I said, honey, why were you worried? God loves me. She said, no he doesn't, he loves me. And, yeah, that's really, that's, that, that's the truth, yeah. He, he blesses me because of your holiness. Uh, <laughs> some failures we get out of, some we can laugh at, but some of you are facing some failures and situations, whether it's taking a shortcut at work or in business, taking a shortcut, making some wrong decisions, and you've had a business failure. Some of you have had some failures in your real vital relationships and so you're facing separation or divorce. One of the things that can pain you so deep, you're like, will I ever get past this? This isn't what I expected. You've had a, a connection today, you've had some kind of connection maybe online and you rekindle a friendship with someone that leads down the wrong path and so you end up in a place that you never thought you would. You've let some people around you down in certain ways. You've even, here's a failure, you've gotten into a heated situation in an argument in relationships and you've said some things that you wish you could take back. There's a whole host of arenas and areas. Looked at things, said things, done things, whatever it might be, you have all of these situations in life and you're like, okay Jeff, failure comes to us but how do we become who we're really created to be? How do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us some indication on how to do this because it's not theory, it's real life. Peter, again, he had some highlight moments. Well, he was in Jesus's inner circle, walked on water, had a little stumble, but hey, he walked a lot farther than any of us have. He had a lot of situations and scenarios, and before we get to this moment, Jesus, in fact, warned Peter this is going to be a great challenge for you. You're going to deny me. And Peter himself, there's no way. I love Peter's passion, but even with his passion and his boldness 
and the will and determination that he had, he still had this moment here in verse 54, right at the height and the apex before Jesus' crucifixion, it says, then they seized him and led him away. They're leading Jesus away. All the whole area is just in turmoil and they're stirred up. Jesus is being led away. They led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and the Bible gives so much detail, I love it. This is one fire. In a minute, we're gonna look at, at a later, another fire. So just think about this. Around this first fire, it says, in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together and Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, talking about Jesus. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. The very one who got the right answer saying, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, now says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. Look at the who am I statement. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord, look at this. So he denies him as Jesus says three times. And then look, this is more than just disappointing your parents. This is more than just disappointing yourself. This is more than just a basic emotion of guilt. Look, look at this. It says here, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What a challenging look from the one he proclaimed to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one he walked with, the one who was his teacher, the one who was his savior, the one who he admired the most, the one he had developed a friendship with, looks at him. That look, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and look at this, and he went out and he wept bitterly. When you're in the middle of failure, the emotion that comes with it brings to you so much pain. The letting down of others, the idea that the enemy will give you that you can't get past this, your world is broken, your world is over, you're never gonna overcome this, the people around you are never gonna see you the same. Jesus himself here in this picture. See, Peter, he literally denied his basic, his, his basic makeup was determination, boldness, passion. And so now he's turned from even the very identity and strength that he had on the inside of him, but he's also let Jesus down in a powerful way. And so when we see this, you're like, well, is that where it stays? In a moment of weeping bitterly, I have a friend of mine, who right now his whole world is blown apart, not by his own choosing, but by someone else's choosing. And now his marriage and his life and his family, and I routinely have texted him, I'm praying for you. There's, there's a Romans 8:28 moment, there's, a, there's something God has, but even as you say that to someone who's weeping bitterly, your words seem so empty. Because when you're personally living the moment that Peter's living right there, it's hard for words to change it. It's hard for just some kind of statement or truth, there's gotta be something deeper that takes place. In a moment, some of you are wondering, some of you know the story, some of you though may be wondering, what happens to Peter? Does he stay there? Does he go off and quit? Where does he go, what does he do? We're gonna come back to that in a minute, but I wanna 
unpack for just a minute, how do you respond to failure? How do you handle it healthy because all of us are going to experience it from time to time? How do we respond to it? Well, first of all, as I put in the book, here's what I believe. Failure can either distort or it can clarify our identity. It's all about how we respond to it. See, failure can lock on to you. It can get a grip on you and it can start to distort the picture of who God's called you to be. Or it can be handled in such a way that it actually brings clarity to who God's really called you to be. In the areas that the enemy wants to shame you the most, that wants to define you the most by your failure, God can actually use those things to actually be a platform in which that he brings hope and healing to others and in your own life. It's all about how you respond. It's how you look at it, it's how you see it. And so I'd like us to spend just a little bit of time here talking about healthy responses to failure. What are some healthy responses when you're in that moment of failure? Here's a big one. And if you've noticed, every week as we look at these characters, what the Bible's telling us is we have to separate the insecurity, we have to separate the comparison, we have to separate the aloneness, we have to separate the emotion We have to separate the circumstances from our true identity. We we have to, and that's what happens here with failure. You have to separate your failure from your identity. You have to say, again, there's there's a big gap between, very important, and I use this in parenting, by the way. Grandparents, you can use this with your grandchildren. Teachers, coaches, anyone who's discipling someone, anyone working in a small group, this is very important because when someone is, is willing to be open with you about their failure, here's a, here's a great way to help them get past it and separate it, and that is, you made a mistake, you're not a mistake. You, 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 you failed in this area, but you're not a failure. Because what the enemy wants to have happen in the moment of failure is for that failure to lock onto your identity and you lose hope that you can move past it. And you know what you tend to do? Throw in the towel and participate in more failure. Because if you believe you are a failure, you'll move toward that picture. But when you begin to see, oh, you know what? I'm not a failure, I did fail. Then you can move forward to who God's created you to be. I've been spending some time, like many of you, watching the Winter Olympics. I understand ratings are down, but at some point, some way, how many of y'all have watched some of the Winter Olympics, okay? We've all had it on there, and, and, and I'll tell you what I like about the Olympics, winter especially, is in the Summer Olympics, I think maybe a few of those things I could do, but the Winter Olympics, I don't think I can, When a guy's like going down, jumping off of something with skis on and twisting in the air, I'm thinking, that that would be a failure. That would not be good. I think there's one event that I could play a role in, I think, is the curling, you know? I think I could do that. I think maybe I could participate. I thought I could until I see the people actually releasing the rock. I am the unbendable man. My hamstrings are so tight. I can't bend over hardly and touch my toes. I know that's gonna be a problem as I get older. Um, I could not get into that posture. If I did, something would snap. (laughs) I do think my one role in the Winter Olympics is I could be the person in curling doing the stop, (laughs) up, 
what are they saying, by the way? Is this a code language? Is it, yeah, yeah, ah. Aggies would just say, whoop, whoop. Calm down now, we'll kick you out of the church, okay? We all let a, let a few in, but don't get carried away. It's fascinating watching the stories in the Olympics because you see the work, the energy, the time, the sacrifice, all of it. I think that's what we're fascinated by. All of it leading up to one moment where it's victory or failure. And when they fail, their identity is so attached to whether or not they make that podium or not. And so in our lives, we, we live that. We live that in our own lives. And so we're, we're trying to live in such a way that we win, that we succeed, but then when mistakes and failure and when it doesn't go like we thought, and I'm amazed by some of the stories. I saw the story of Lindsey Vaughn's grandfather who actually built a ski hill for all the kids to ski on and he had all of her, her, her accomplishments since she was little and they asked him, they said, how do you feel when she skis? And he just, he just choked up and started crying and then we're all like rooting on her to have this moment because she's had injury and all of them have these injuries and they have this pressure and they come to this moment and so it is with us in life, failure can attach itself to our identity. It can attach itself to who we are. Here's another thing that I think is so important that I talk about with my teenagers, I talk about it with people in small groups, with the way our world is even today. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's a difference, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is given to you when you receive Christ to guide you, to bring conviction to you of what is true, of what is right. So in a lot of ways today, the way many people deal with failure is they just say, look, whatever you decide to do, whatever you feel like is okay, just do it. Don't call it a mistake. Don't call it sin. But, but I wanna tell you, anything that you begin to participate in that's outside the confines of God's parameters, God's standards, and who God has called you to be, every time you make that choice, you're moving away from being the best version of who he's called you to be. And in a world today that says, let's just remove all the standards so that we don't have any failures or any mistakes, I wanna tell you, that never ends up good. Because even God's parameters and God's desires for us are there because he loves us. So conviction is not wrong. In fact, it's one of the indicators of whether or not Jesus lives inside of you. Not filling out a card, not joining a church, but the Holy Spirit will say, no, 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 that's not true. Don't go that way. That's that inner witness of the Holy Spirit to say, that's not my plan for you, that's not my desire for you, and the more we learn to listen to that, the more we become more of who God's called us to be. So there's nothing wrong with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because what that helps us do is move past our failure and move forward to who he's called us to be. Condemnation, on the other hand, is what the enemy wants to use in our lives. Condemnation is designed by the enemy to keep you in your failure. No, you're damaged goods. You're, you're, you're used up. You're, you're now forever defined by that. You're forever gonna stay in that place. God can't use you, and what you do there is you, and condemnation of the enemy is to get you to let that failure lock on you so strong that you see no hope forward. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. Condemnation 
is not what Jesus has for our lives. I wanna spend a little bit of time though looking at a little more depth because failure a lot of times doesn't just fall out of the sky. I want us to recognize the factors that fuel failure. Jesus knew where Peter was headed and if we'll listen to Jesus, he can help us avoid some of these big mistakes and failure. It doesn't just usually fall out of the sky. A lot of times it's a process. So let me give you a little grid that can help you. What are factors that fuel failure? How can we move past some of them is by understanding how it happens. First one is good intentions without wisdom. As you know, bad character, not listening to the Holy Spirit can lead you down a path of failure. But sometimes you can have a good heart with bad strategy and not have wisdom in your life. And you can have, Peter was passionate. He had this giddy, excited heart. He just didn't have always the wisdom that he needed to go along with his passion. And so that's why you need to be equipped. That's why you need to understand how God thinks. That's why you need to not just depend on what your relatives say or what somebody else says. Be careful who you're listening to. There's so much information out there today for pe from people who a lot of times the very thing they're selling is not working for them. It's not even working. So good intentions without wisdom can lead you that way. Emotional pressure. I wanna tell you this is a big one. This is a big one in the lives of people today. We're stressed out, we're burned out, we're anxious, we're overloaded and overextended trying to impress others to fulfill in us the need we have to be affirmed in who we are. So we get overextended, we get overcommitted, we get out, out, and so what happens is, let me tell you, late at night after traveling for two weeks, you're very susceptible to click on the wrong thing. You're very susceptible. We then also get overextended and so we're stressed out so we medicate all of the stress that we have and when you medicate that you are, you are susceptible to failure. You're susceptible to a wrong relationship. You're susceptible and I'm gonna tell you we don't put a lot of, a lot of stock in this today. We think man, that's a little bit weak to, to prioritize rest or prioritize a Sabbath or prioritize some time to make sure your soul's in a good place. But I've seen people who get under enough emotional pressure, they subconsciously make poor choices just to get off the adrenaline train. And so you can make some big mistakes in life just by being overextended and not rested. Emotional pressure can lead you to some failures. Here's the next one, willful disobedience. I go back to my teenagers. One of my parenting deal with them is this. By God's grace, most of the time, they're at least honest with me about some of the mistakes they make. And dad, here's what happened, and here's this happened, and that, and you know, and, and it's kind of like pastoring, pastoring and parenting. My favorite line that I get to use all the time. You did what? <laughs> Look, we make mistakes. We miss it. We, we, we get out of line. We, 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 we run the car in the ditch every now and then, okay? There's a difference in foolishness, there's a difference in ignorance, and willful disobedience. I tell my children, the, th the day that I'm major concerned is when you move into a posture of rebellion. By the way, not dealing with failure properly can get you to a place of not trusting God anymore and bringing you to a place where you just say, you know what, that's who I am anyway, I'm going all the way. 
And the Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft. And if you get under a spirit of rebellion, you will move into willful disobedience and move away from the plan of God. And I'm gonna tell you, it can wreck your life. It can wreck your life. I'm not saying you can't get past it, but there's a whole lot to clean up after that. There's a lot of consequences. Look, God frees us from sin, but we still have the consequences of those choices. Can I beg you? Can I implore you? If some of you are just like, I'm hard-hearted toward God, and I don't care, and I'm just gonna do whatever I want, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Willful disobedience will lead to a train wreck of all kinds of problems. Here's the final one. Sometimes there's circumstances beyond your control. There's circumstances. We live in a fallen world, and so sometimes that leads us to some failures. Here's the final thing, though. You say, what do we really do? How do we get hope? Some of you have a big failure, or you have some circumstances, or you're just even carrying some guilt regarding some things you've done. You're like, if people really knew some of the things I've done, man, I don't even know if they would like me. I don't even know if I could be accepted. Like, how do you get some hope How do you get back on track? How do you not get defined by that? What do you do? Well, you have to understand this. Jesus sees us. He sees where you're at. There's nothing in your life that he doesn't see. And he's working toward the best version of who he's called you to be. You say, what happened to Peter? Well, he had that moment of weeping bitterly. He had some other moments. But here's what I love about Jesus. Peter does what we do when we don't know how to handle failure. You know what he does? He goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he knew. He goes right back. If you don't learn how to handle failure, you'll go back to the old life. I've seen it happen. Look, those of you that are new Christians, a lot of you that have been newly saved, you need to get equipped now for when the wind comes, when the rain comes, when it doesn't, everything doesn't happen rosy. Because let me tell you why. You'll be all fired up and excited and you'll be doing all these great things and then you don't know how to get past that failure when you slip up. You know what you do? I'm gonna go back to the old friends. I'm gonna go back to the old lifestyle. I'm gonna go back. We go back to the tyranny of the familiar when we don't know how to handle failure. That's what Peter did. We run. I've met so many people the last several weeks coming back, coming back. Look, if you ever taste and experience Jesus, nothing else satisfies. Nothing else satisfies. And so people say, man, they come back, they, they experience, but, but Peter ran, he went back to fishing, he went back to his old life, he thought that's what I'm defined by, but here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus comes running after us when we try to return back to our failure, when we try to return back to what we know because of our failure. He comes after us. You can't outrun Jesus. I was ministering to a business guy this week, he was, run, he was moving away from God, moving away from God, and he just, he starts, he's coming back. Why? He has a praying wife. If you have a praying wife or a praying mom, give up. <laughs> give up. He's coming back. He's coming back. And as I was listening to him, it was amazing because I could see some of the parallels in Peter's story. Even though he tried to run, Jesus kept running after him, putting relationships putting friendships, putting people in your, you you can't outrun Jesus. The Bible talks about that in fact. The righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. Many times people are running, they don't even know what they're running from. They're just running, but Jesus comes and finds us. The first denial was around a fire. Now Jesus comes and finds on that bank there, that place of fishing, Jesus finds Peter, and look what it says here. When they had finished breakfast around another fire, 
Have you been around the second fire with Jesus? I know you've been around the first fire, but around the second fire, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said basically the same thing to him three times. Three denials, and here's his response, and I love this about Jesus. He didn't bring up the denials. He didn't bring up the failure. He knows Peter has been mulling that over, weeping about it, crying about it. He said, look, that's not what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about one thing. And this is the one thing that can break you out of your failure and toward what God has created for you. And that is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Let's just boil it all down to the main thing. Do you love me? Because if you love me, my love will come in and reciprocate into your heart to such a degree that my love has the power to move you past any mistake or failure. My love has the ability to take you to the places that I've called you to. And so that's what Jesus focused on with him. Focus on, do you love me? And that moved Peter, you say, what happened to him? Well, it's amazing, he was at the ascension of Christ, he was the one who preached the first message, and there were thousands saved, and he went on, there's a book of the Bible, I mean, it's amazing what God did with him. But Jesus went and pursued him and asked him that question, do you, do you love me? If you're in the midst of failure, you're like, how do I fix this, how do I fix that, what do I do about this, and just stop. Where's your love level for Jesus? Where's your willingness to say, here I am, Jesus, and let that love change the circumstance in your heart and the situation to move you forward into all that he's called you to be? I wanna pray for you, but I'll tell you something that happens a lot, a lot. After our 101 class, I stand and shake hands and had this happen, I don't know, three or four times even in the last few months, and that is, I'll stand and shake hands with some people and. You know, everyone will kind of be there and we'll shake hands, I'll meet folks. And there's people from all backgrounds, people that got saved in the class and people that have moved here from other states and found family and people that are coming back to Christ. And I just am always just amazed at how God sees us where we are and finds us and works in our hearts. And so, but, but it, invariably, generally, there's, there's, there's the last person that kind of hangs out. Everybody else comes through, but there's the last person kind of like, this is gonna take extra attention. Pastor, I wanna talk to you. And I told you the story of one of the young girls who had so much loss in her life, and she came. Well, this last one, there was a, a young lady who, who shared with me, she, 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 I had uh, our, my assistant and some other people there, and she just began to share how God was really working in her life. She, she came to a service, she experienced God, she prayed, and she accepted Jesus and she got a Bible and yet she still had so much turmoil because she had a very challenging relationship that she's been in for four years. And she has no one around her life to support her desire to try to follow God. She drives 40 minutes to come here to worship God by herself without any authority figure saying, get up, we're going to church, without any friend, without any relationship. She comes here and she says, I come because when I come, I feel God, I experience God, I'm learning about God and I just saw the sincerity in her heart. But along the way in her journey, she had so much turmoil around her life, she said, I took 50 Xanax and I would have died had they not found me. And she said, when I was in the hospital, the Bible that you gave me, you said to read in John, I started reading the book of John. And I started getting more and more transformation about how God feels about me. And 
She was just talking about, she's got so much she's working through. But here was the moment that happens all the time. As I looked at her and I said, I'm proud of you. She began to weep. She began to cry. Look, just keep taking steps. Keep moving toward the love of God. Keep moving toward what he has for you. Don't let all of that define you. I'm proud of you. Now it's not the power of just my words as a pastor. That's the words we all wanna hear. I love you. The question is, do you love me? Jesus says that to us. And if we'll say yes to that, then we can move past the failures of our life toward everything that he has for us. I'm gonna ask if you would to stand on your feet with me. And I'm gonna ask you right now to bow your heads and I'm gonna ask no one to move around for a minute, no, no ushers, no team leaders, no greeters. I want everyone just to stay right where they are and maybe you're watching by video, but I want us all just to bow our heads and there's some of you here you say, I've never really surrendered myself to Jesus like I hear you talking about. And you say, what do I do? Well, right where you are, you can say, Jesus, make it your words. Jesus, here I am. You know all my mistakes. You know everything about me. You just make it your words to him. But I wanna receive your love. I wanna receive you today. I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you went to that cross and you took every mistake that I've ever made. I believe you rose from the dead. Will you become my Jesus? Come into my life. I accept you today. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to let us know. Maybe go to one of the baptism classes. Come to 101, come forward. Let us know so we can now equip you to be able to walk out the decision that you've made. Second of all, there's some of you right now listening to me. This message is for you. There's failure trying to attach itself to your identity. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd not let that define you, but you'd be who he's called you to be. And you'd take a step. You'd take a step toward getting equipped. Take a step. Come to our restore class. Come to get, go, go through freedom as it comes up. Get in the grow track. Get around some relationships. Be honest. Be open. Don't let it define you. But most of all, understand he loves you even in your failure. And that love can change you. Father, I pray you would move us forward this weekend into who you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 